Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, and I'm here as usual with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great, how are you? I'm doing well. Got a lot of interesting films to talk about today. Yes, a lot, a lot, a lot. And they're all very different in a number of ways, um, but they all involve young people finding themselves in various ways, finding out who they are. You could call all of them coming of age, but yeah, in various different ways. So anyway, before I try to keep going on with the the vague generalizations here, let's just get down to the film. Um, We're going to start with one called Turning Red. I'm sure you guys have heard a lot about it by now. Um, especially if you're in the Toronto area. Uh, Toronto has gone crazy for this film, rightly so. It is uh, in many ways a love letter to Toronto. It's set in Toronto. Uh, Domi Shi, the director, she graduated from Sheridan. Uh, you know her from her short bow. It's an, uh, her animated short bow. This is her animated feature. It's her first one. And it is the, uh, the first Pixar movie not, um, directed by a woman. And it is also the first Pixar movie directed by an Asian person. A uh, lot of firsts there. It's very exciting. Um, it's available on Disney Plus, this triumphant, gorgeous, really uh, original and um, it, it just does so many wonderful things with animation. It's it's uh, it's not experimental, but it's like it's playing around with so many different kinds of um, animation that it's 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 really an exciting vision I found. And let me tell you the story first before we before we really get into talking about um, the nitty gritty of the film. The story is about a young girl named May. She's just turned 13. She's living with her parents. Uh, It's very traditional kind of um, family. Very much. uh, They run a temple. Her mother especially uh, watches over her very carefully. Wants her, you know, to follow in the family footsteps of being, you know, a good girl and you know it's it's that story that a lot of us are familiar with um growing up you want it she's she's sort of struggling may is sort of struggling between being the person that her parents want and being her own person discovering who she is i mean she's 13 she's just figuring things out things get a little complicated when puberty hits because that of course is when everything gets complicated for every one of us um, and I, I think that um, possibly at this point, it might be good to just address a little bit of the criticisms that the film has gotten. Um, the film has gotten, uh, has been criticized by individuals. Uh, there was one particular uh, white male critic who uh, shall be nameless, who, who, posted a tweet with his review and he said it's very it's a very narrow film very narrow audience and 
you can't imagine who would watch this. Well, um, I think Courtney and I are going to explain that I, I started to explain that I think this is actually a film for a lot of people. Like, you know, all, for all those reasons that I just delineated. Um, but as soon as I let Courtney, <laughs> as soon as I stop talking and let Courtney finally speak, because we do want that. Uh, I will um, also say that when you, when you have uh, finished speaking, Courtney, let me talk about something I saw in there that's okay. related to Star Wars, which I, you know, I'm going to, yes, I used Star Wars. I used the reference to Star Wars and it's not a direct reference, but hang yes, on I, it, that's it's very interesting. It's coming. Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, the the criticism for the most part has been this one particular critic. But I think what people need to realize, um, especially in terms of the backlash to the criticism, is it has the criticism isn't necessarily or the backlash to it isn't necessarily about the the individual who's reviewing it, but more how people look and view cinema. Um, this is a film that to say it is a narrow point of view because it's the protagonist is a young Asian Canadian um, who happens to be female is kind of ridiculous because there's not a human being on earth that doesn't go through puberty. You know, exactly. this is yeah. one of those things that yes, you know, it focuses heavily on the mother daughter bonds, but you could easily substitute daughter and father, um, you know, mother and son puberty always makes things complex. And then to have the sense of, you know, cultural mysticism thrown in with her turning with may turning into a panda whenever her emotions get um, too too much to handle is a great visual cue. It, it helps with younger kids identifying with change, but it's nothing that hasn't been done before. Like Ginger Snaps is a yeah. horror film where it's all about puberty and turning into a werewolf, tying in with um, menstruation and all that stuff. So to to single out this particular film and say it's not universal is it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I think it's a it's a wonderful film. There's great mix of humor. Everything that you said about the, the animation, the different styles. Um, Domi, she incorporates, you know, what we consider, quote unquote, traditional Pixar animation with manga influences, anime influences. It's a really fast paced, energetic film, but it has a whole lot of heart. You know, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a film that these are the type of films that we want Pixar to make uh, so i i don't I, I love the film i thought because it was set in toronto it'd be one of those things where being from toronto we have a little extra oh it's you know our city represented on screen it's going to be great but no the film is generally great it's a wonderful film my daughter's yeah. already watched it twice um it's it's one of those that you you're gonna be able to watch over and over and still not get tired of because there's so much to just enjoy and discover and you know this is not a, a type of film where I would say the cultural influences are, are limiting, like you won't understand. You know, it's, uh, if anything, it makes you want to learn about all these other cultures a bit more. But I think, again, this, it really boils down to with the critique that we're, we're talking about individuals who 
essentially feel that cinema is meant for them and them only. And if yeah. they don't see themselves on screen, they have a bit of a, a hissy fist. And it's not the first time. We I've seen reactions to like Moana or Coco be less than Toy Story or you know um, Inside Out. And some anything where there's like a, a particularly white protagonist, that's considered yeah. universal. It, it has been yeah. since the dawn of cinema. And anything that you incorporate a a person of color or a different culture, then it's, oh, it's too niche. It's too, you know, all this um, same stuff that generations upon generations. And it's sad to see that film criticism is also susceptible to that, but it is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as if a guy, a white, rich man dressing as a bat is a universal um, theme or a universal story that we can all relate to. You know, things like that, when you think of what what is actually, uh, you know, massively successful, what uh, does pass or what is consumed by the masses, you've got to think that, well, there's a lot of people that actually don't relate to that, but yet they watch it. And and turning red, it's like if you can just get past the always direct it's directed by an Asian woman i think that you know that part stops people and it it's like who cares who cares who who directed it um yes it has specific cultural references um i mean i don't mean who cares as in it's not important i mean who cares as in why don't you just take a look at the film first right um and and in terms of relatability, when, you know, as you said, like everybody goes through puberty, but also how many people in North America come from immigrant families? You may not come specifically from a Chinese family and um, the cultural traditions, the folklore that they talk about is not specific to you, but how, how many of us can relate to being torn between the two worlds. You're the first generation born here and you're still torn between two worlds. Your parents' world, where you're expected to do things, you know, a certain way. And then you world where it's like, wait a minute, my friends, my friends who are who are different from my parents, my friends and I, we together have different interests that don't always go together with what you know, my parents want, how, how is this not a relatable story for, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people around the world? Yeah. And the, in the, in the film, the May's friends, is a, she has a diverse group of friends, right? Yeah. Which, but yeah. again, if, exactly. if, if, if that's not even enough, and it's just the fact that it's a female protagonist, which is, you know, uh, I guess a knock in this reviewer's eyes. And then also a, <laughs> female protagonist from a particular culture and that's enough for him to go i'm out well you know maybe yeah, you need to re- reassess your your views on cinema it's, and again and, if, if you don't like the film that's fine it's just you have to have more salient justification than it's a young girl so that way i can't really it's like well that's not how society works Yes, and I, and I hope that people will give it a chance. I mean, I have read um, user comments, like uh, audience 
reviews, uh, feedback, yep. yeah, audience feedback. And there are a lot, how many people said I couldn't get past the first 10 minutes? And it's like, see, that's the problem right there. That's because like, you've got all this crap in your head. Uh, you're not watching the film. You're not seeing what the film has to offer. If you could get past 10 minutes and the first 10 minutes, it's not, the film hasn't even started, especially this film. Mm-hmm. This film, as it develops, as it goes on, as it, you know, we, as we said, as it starts blending all these different kinds of animation and as the story opens up and opens up and opens up and the fantastical elements come into play, this is where I'm going to talk about Star Wars. There's, there's a, like sort of a climactic moment in this that was like, well, this is this is what Star Wars was about, you know, battling with fam- your family, Luke, I am your father, you know, that kind of dynamic where you you and a parent do not agree. And there's this like battle of epic proportions, you know, when you start looking on it at, like on a more universal scale you might call me insane for this this star wars you know reference but this is what i saw i was like this is this is just as universal as star wars fighting on that kind of level you know because it it turned into fantasy yeah very interesting i didn't i didn't um you know as you say i do see the connection of course the initial thing i was thinking of is like the godzilla kaiju films but in terms of like the actual motivation for what happens in that scene and what that scene actually brings out you're like yeah i can i can see it's definitely the the parental child conflict that um we see play out throughout cinema history but just done in a really inventive type of way that's that's, yeah that's a really interesting one um i'm gonna slightly change the themes um or at least the film but keeping with your Star Wars reference, because I wanted to talk about The Atom Project. And that is a film where science fiction is used to, again, highlight the connections between parent and child and the problems that occur. And then this film was um, directed by Sean Levy, who I think he also did Free Guy. Um, which also starred Ryan Re- Reynolds. And that's a uh, comedy, I believe it's playing on Disney plus, but the Adam project is a Netflix produced film. And Ryan Reynolds plays this man, Adam, who's in the future. He's like a fighter pilot and he jumps back in time um, to try and essentially save the future, but he misses his mark. So he lands in a time when he actually encounters his 12 year old self so now you have big adam and little adam kind of coexisting while big adam is trying to figure out how to fix his ship and get to the right time so that he can essentially stop time travel and save the world but throughout this whole film you're seeing um, ryan reynolds character big adam trying to wrestle with a lot of the issues he had from a child and one of which was the passing of his father played by Mark Ruffalo and how that impacted his relationship with his mother played by Jennifer Garner. And it's really about 
parent-child connections, coming to age, dealing with bullies, but also dealing with the the sense of angst and regret, you know, realizing that you've gone back in time and your younger self was a pain in the butt when it should have been more sympathetic, not seeing what your parents actually go through. So similar to Turning Red, we've got a lot of the exact same themes, you know, by that old critic standard, it, this might be more universal because it's a, a white man's story, but it's, you know, it's for what it is, it's actually not bad. Um, I don't think the film sticks to landing. I think that it gets a little too hung up on some of the um, sci-fi tropes so that while you have some like really elaborate action sequences and stuff, by the time you get to the end, the script gets a little too convoluted, more than it really needs to be. Um, so if you're looking for a, a, a fun sci-fi flick, um, the child that plays the younger um, Adam is, is really entertaining, kind of got the trademark snark that you usually get from Ryan Reynolds. He, he does it quite well. Uh, but overall, the story, I think, is a, doesn't hold up the, the way it should. That's too bad. Hmm. Yeah. But again, you won't have a bad time watching it. It's just it's it doesn't achieve what it, I think it could have. Right. Right. As a okay. film. Um, and if we're going to talk about journeys, um, let's talk about wildhood, because yes, that is wildhood. one where you have young people trying to connect with adults and going on a journey. So if you want to talk a bit about that. Yes. Uh, wildhood. Um, and it's also coming of age. So. I think the theme today, even though we didn't plan to put yeah, all these things together, <laughs> yeah, unintentional, but the, the, the theme of this week's frame line happens to be coming of age films and uh, people coming of age in, in different ways, their different ages. And, uh, and Wildhood is just a, a fantastic Canadian film. Um, it, uh, it premiered at the uh, 2021 Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, it got a lot of acclaim. Uh, so far, it's like, you know, getting awards and stuff already. And uh, I think it, it's nominated for the Screen Awards, a bunch of Screen Awards, Canadian Screen Awards, which is, you know, our Oscars. Uh, so Wildhood centers on two brothers um, and... Link, the elder one, is uh, the one who's particularly having trouble with their dad. So they share the same dad, but Link has um, uh, a mother who has mysteriously, we don't know if she ran away, we don't know if she was driven away, uh, but his mother is, is uh, from Mi'kmaq heritage. And with all the trouble at home, um, and the fighting with the dad, he, and the dad is horrible. He just takes his brother and he goes off on a journey to find his mother. So in, in a lot of ways, it's, um, it's a journey of discovery. It's a journey to go back to yourself, like to find yourself in a way by finding uh, your way to your heritage because he didn't really have contact with her at all. So he, he was really cut off from his Mi'kmaq heritage. Um, so the, the film is, is really poignant in the way that, um, that it shows us this journey. Um, but it's also a journey of um, self-discovery, um, but 
sexual awakening as well, because as they're going, uh, as the two brothers are going along, um, they meet up with a mysterious young two-spirited individual named Pasme, and uh, he's he's a powwow dancer, so he's he's very much connected. It's interesting. He's very he's very much connected to Mi'kmaq heritage, and he decides to join them. And as as he joins them, the the relationship with uh, with Link develops. Um, there's a deep bond in terms of friendship, but uh, you know it, it goes goes deeper than that, and and the way that they journey together and sort of awaken to the world together. The film really it, there's there's a point at which even the lighting, even the the way like that it's shot, you know, suddenly they're in in a sunny the sunny great outdoors. They're always outdoors. It's just that suddenly the sun comes out, you know, as they're going along. And eventually, you know, they go and they, they're going to find the mother. And I think um, that it's, it's, it's really, it's deceptively simple, but that's what gives it this sort of transcendent uh, sense that, you know, the simplicity of the structure allows it to, to really take on sort of a more, you know, shall I say it, a more universal kind of um, element that we can all relate to in our own ways. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I like how you pointed out about the the way it's shot, because for a film that's about reclaiming oneself and one's heritage, it's also deeply romantic. And a lot of it is just from the visual cues as you're seeing this budding romance um, begin to form and the sense of sexual tension, but also uneasiness, you know, the, the, the fear that comes with um, any new relationship of overthinking things and overanalyzing and all that is set and encompassed perfectly in, in the visuals. Like it's just a really well done film. Um, I like that it's a film that acknowledges the hardships that Link and his brother have endured at home, but also of the Mi'kmaq people as a whole. Um, but it's still not about trauma. It's all about rebirth and, you know, get empowering in its, own, in its own way. So it's just, it's, it's, it, it tackles a lot of themes, but just done in a really elegant and interesting way. Um, so yeah, I was, pleasantly surprised by this film i think it's a, a great one that more people should see yes and and you can see this one in theaters mm-hmm. so you know look for that at at your local indie cinema in the case of toronto it, it's going to be at the tiff bell light box so it's the yeah because we're talking about how beautifully it's shot i think that this one this one is one you should guys should treat yourselves to go to the movies you know, and watch this one unfold. And uh, and I think we're going to talk about the White Fortress next, right? Sure. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, because that one, that one, that one has also got this sort of delicate visual strategy. You know, uh, which the, I was thinking of talking about it after Wildhood, uh, because this one is also uh, going to be 
in, in theaters. And it would be great to see this one on a big screen. You know, yes. there's a lot of care. Yeah, a lot of care taken. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of a very tightly constructed, in, in some ways, tightly constructed, uh, gentle. Um, but when I say gentle, I mean, like, there's not a lot of movement. There's not a lot of, um, it's, it's certainly not going to give you, like, an action-packed, um, it is a romance, and stylistically, it's a film where social realism, remember, guys, like the social realism from like post-war Italian cinema, from, uh, there's a lot of, you know, types of cinema that I've used realism, and, and this is like social realism, and this is a strategy where it lingers on faces, especially, especially the protagonist. And our protagonist is Farouk. He's, um, he's an orphan. He's, he's a young, young man. So in some ways, I'm going to call this a coming of age, of age film. Um, he's growing up just outside of Sarajevo. And, you know, things are bleak. He, he can't really find any ways of making money. So with his uncle, he collects scrap metal, or he goes off and to the local crime boss. He kind of does some work for him, like does does some petty crime, and he he comes into contact with this young woman named Mona. She's about his age, so basically teenagers, right? And she is from a completely different world. Her parents are bureaucrats. You know, they have money. They have a lot of money. Um, but these two are drawn to each other. And it's very tentative at first. Uh, but then they really start to open up to each other. And the film uh, starts to transition into something more. And this, this is the fabulous thing about it, uh, to go from this social realism to suddenly take on more of a fairy tale kind of atmosphere um, and become more more of a, a fairy tale story, you know. And the visuals start to change a little bit to to enhance that. And so I just love the way that the gritty kind of realism and the stark stark aesthetic just um, turns into this romance yeah. Uh, yeah the whole thing becomes more of a romantic kind of film with romantic feel romantic visuals yeah it's a very interesting approach and i think that's one of the things that i like about this film because it's it's really tough to pull off a film that is both gritty um has fairy tale aspects and is also romantic uh you know you have like you really want Farouk and Mona to succeed but you see everything that's around him and I Farouk has essentially got crime and issues with family and Mona is more coming from a, what I would consider a posh um bit of society because her parents are in government but it seems like they are like many politicians, easily swayed. And there's a lot of growing political tension going on, but there's also 
the film alludes to a lot of history going back to World War II and how that has impacted Sarajevo and just kind of set that whole region on a, on a particular course that it's still trying to claw its way out of. So you've got all those heavy, all that heavy subject matter going on. And then you're, you know, you're sitting in awe as like these two teens are sitting, staring at each other as the sun is rising and you're just seeing the shadows of the body. Like there's a lot of really nice romantic moments, them in the field talking about life and what would their life be like if they ran away, even though knowing that only that type of stuff happens in movies. And it's, yeah, it was a really interesting film and it's, it's with all those different threads going on, it's really tough to pull it off without getting them um, tangled in, uh, in knots, but um, the director never does that. I should just point out that I, I didn't mention the name of the, the director. And oh, we should. Oh, we did. We okay, should go ahead. Our, our fabulous Canadian filmmaker, like he's a favorite, um, Igor Derliacha. You guys, you guys have seen his uh, his other films, and this film is called The White Fortress. Sorry, I interrupted you, Courtney. No, 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 that's perfect. Um, I, I thought we had because the film is just that interesting that we want to dive right into it. So <laughs> that's that's what happens. But, I just you know, got I, so excited, right? I just like dove in <laughs> no 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 but it's it's yeah it's it's a really interesting film uh, i mean i and i think people should definitely check it out uh it's yeah it's just a, it's a film that i was not expecting and what i liked about it is it it just takes you in different directions but it's it still manages to stay cohesive throughout yeah yeah it's a it's a really i mean it, it it's great the way it's going at the beginning but then when it it shifts. It's like, wow, what a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, you know, and to, to, to tie this into the, the next one that we're going to talk about, there is a, um, a little aspect of like Romeo and Juliet within this film because of the, yes. they're from, yes. but I will, and I will say this as a preface to the next film. I like how this one was handled because um, it kind of touches on those themes, but then completely, goes in a different direction and doesn't follow yeah. the, the trope. So I was really, really happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we're diving into the next one. We're diving into the next film, which is um, Steven Spielberg's adaptation of the 1957 musical West Side Story. And uh, this is Spielberg's um, crack at it. I believe this is his first musical. Um, I, I'd have to check on that because Spielberg has done so many films, uh, but I believe this is the, the, his first attempt at a musical. And again, it's about two teens from different sides of the tracks, if you will. You have Tony, who is associated with this gang known as um, the Jets, I believe he's part of, and Maria, yeah. who's Puerto Rican, and she's through her ties is associated with the Puerto Rican gang known as the Sharks, and they all live in this neighborhood that is being run down um you know new developments are coming in and it's basically pushing all the the people that live there before out so that's causing tension with the youth and especially the jets in particular are very annoyed and they're taking out their frustration and their lack of upward mobility out on the immigrants who are trying to just make a, a decent 
living. So you have all of this tension um, brewing. And then in the midst of these, all this tension, you have Tony and Maria locking eyes and falling in love. And if you've seen West Side Story, the original, you know what to expect. If you've seen Romeo and Juliet, or if you've read Romeo and Juliet, you also know what to expect. I will say as a film, in terms of its technical aspects, it's, it's wonderful. Um, Spielberg, the way how he uses color, lighting, reflections, choreography, really exciting. This film is just great to look at. As a story, I'm going to admit my own personal bias. I've never been a fan of Romeo and Juliet as a play, as a story. So whenever it hit the Romeo and Juliet beats, I was not as engaged. Um, and that's just my own personal thing. I've never been a big fan of West Side Story simply because I do not like Romeo and Juliet. However, <laughs> when Spielberg incorporates a lot of the, the themes and especially makes it modern, like, you know, they talk about or they hint at um, issues in, um, impacting transgendered individuals, um, white male rage, and misplaced rage, the, the way that immigrants are, are both used and discarded in America, they all, all those beats hit perfectly. I just, for me, the film was, it's, it's, it's good. I just don't love it like everyone else does because of the Romeo and Juliet aspect. And that's all I will say on that. <laughs> it's funny because I've never liked Romeo and Juliet. I, I'm a big Shakespeare fan. I've never loved Romeo and Juliet. Um, and yeah, when I got to those sappy parts, like, you know, I'm not a, not a sappy movie kind of person, but (laughs) because of what, uh, Spielberg did with the staging, with the, the context, and as you say, you know, modernized it. And in fact, this is a story of people struggling with the effects of gentrification, right? Which is, um, which is affecting everyone in the film um, and is relatable to a lot of people, right? Um, that, that that made it uh, much more engaging because that added this sort of deeper um, aspect to it. Uh, but this is this, this I'm going to finally admit. I never understood what the big deal with Spielberg was. I was not a fan. Really? Never. Interesting. Yeah. I just like, so I watched this because it was like, okay, uh, let's see what the, let's see what the fuss is about. And uh, I was knocked off my chair because I was like, oh my God, this if he keeps doing this, I'm a huge Spielberg fan because suddenly everything was gritty like it should be for this story. You know, not the sappy parts, but as you say, for the greater story of these two gangs fighting for survival, you know, fighting for turf. Um, it's gritty in some ways. The cinematography just blew me away but coupled with the production design and the camera movement and the, the ca- just the shooting of 
of certain shots. It just this thing, this thing, this movie was just this like vibrant, wild, crazy, beautiful, fantastic. You know, it was just like every moment was electric. It was vivid. It was electric. And it was awe-inspiring. And I'm going to bring in a Star Wars reference. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm not doing this just to just to be funny, but it, it just so happened that I had this Star Wars moment in the middle of West Side Story. Um, uh, when, okay, okay, so you know, with the Romeo and Juliet story, one thing that, that Spielberg does visually is he really, uh, he really uh, imbues the, the whole thing with this sort of added added something like he really uh takes off he flies with this metaphor of the balcony scene because that's the famous scene in romeo and juliet she's on the balcony and he's talking you know and this is how they profess their love well when it happens here you've got this giant shot and spielberg does this a lot in this film which is like some of these shots are just so giant in scope that that's what was like that's what made me awestruck but in this case there they are these tiny tiny little people singing their hearts out to each other and it this did not take away from that from the moment they were having but putting them in the context of this this giant apartment building right with all the fire escapes and this sort of view downwards as to how high high up they were. I'm telling you, I don't know which I can't I can't tell you which moment it was in Star Wars, but there's a moment, and and it was on aboard one of the the vessels in Star Wars, and they're way way up. It it was in the the second uh, trilogy, right, where you've got this giant tall can you does this ring any bells uh, you uh, there's a whole bunch of giant structures in star wars so yeah 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 but, and yeah. it's all black it's all black mm-hmm. and it's like if you fall right it's yeah. it's very scary if you look down it's very scary and so all of a sudden they're on this balcony and it's like he puts them in this context of you know being in this in this world in this real new york city neighborhood you know with this reality going on around them and yet he does it with this shot that was like god that reminded me of star wars you know it was like mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i'd not say that just to to be funny and off the cuff and or oh, am i clever I no see, no you know, i understand I what you mean reference. yeah the the sense of scale because I, I agree this this one does have there's a lot of moments where he r- reminds you of the scope of the of the world that they're in, but also uses it to emphasize how narrow the view of some people are, especially the the jets. You know, they yeah. they are determined to stay and and lay claim to this pile of rubble. 
just because they feel that they're entitled to that pile of rubble. Whereas you have the, the sharks and the whole Puerto Rican community to use your analogy with the fire escape, they're living in buildings where the ladder for the fire escape doesn't actually go down. Like, yeah, they, like yeah, yeah. so they want to, if there was a case of emergency, they would want to get out, but they can't. Whereas Tony being white American is like, Oh, this thing doesn't come down. Every, every fire escape come down. It's like, no, not everyone is afforded even the luxury of having the ability to have a proper working fire escape. Right. So like, I think those are the things I, I really enjoyed about the film. I think yeah. it does a really good job of, of showing the levels of privilege, even in impoverished areas and how, yeah. They can both be on the same block, but their experiences are going to be different. And also how, you know, and this is, I guess, part of just the story in general, like how the rage of those people who feel that they are superior will push them to do despicable things. And then they still think that they are just in doing it. And I think one of the things that I like about this film and, I, and this is the one thing that I'll say I like about Romeo and Juliet is the supporting characters in both are the most interesting to me. The Tony and Maria are not as engaging, not, and there's nothing to knock against their singing or their, their numbers, which are fine. They're just not as interesting as the people around them. You know, the ones who are causing the problems, their friends, and then the ones who are trying to advise them. Um, you know, of the dangers of the problem. And, I, and I've always found that to be more interesting than the beats of, oh, I thought you were dead. You're not dead. Like, you know, the, <laughs> the usual Romeo and yeah. Juliet stuff that we've been told. Since I, I completely, yeah, I completely agree with you there. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I guess like, I'll just like to, to just uh, summarize like, what I was saying. Um I, I don't even like musicals, you know, I don't like Spielberg. I don't like musicals. Um, and what I like through everything that I brought up, I think my conclusion would be that uh, I was really blown away by the artistry. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's what I was always looking for in Spielberg. And sometimes that, that he presented films where, I thought, okay, this is a chance where you could really exercise those, you know, cinematic muscles and really show us some artistry and, and use visual metaphors and, you know, um, but they were lacking. Whereas in this film, it's, I just felt like wonderfully bombarded. You know, I was happy. There was so much going on that, my brain was like buzzing and it was going to explode with all the possibilities of what I was seeing going on, whether it be on the level, as you say, of the choreography or, you know, the, sh the shots, the way the shots are constructed. The Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's great. I, was, I mean, you're, you're definitely part of the majority because uh, people, but I, I wasn't expecting film. to be as what I'm no, saying. No, that's okay. I, I mean, it's, just, you know, it's like, nominated for best picture. A lot of people love it. So, and you know, it's it's available on Disney Plus right now. Yes. Uh, so, yes. which is actually a, a good bookend. You know, we start off with a show that's available on Disney Plus for those who have it, and 
now we end off with a another one. But yeah, there's you know we well, we had four or five different films all about coming of age and dealing with with life, romance, and parenthood. So you have tons of options yeah. to watch. Yeah, and the the thing about uh, something like Disney Plus is if you don't think uh, you're going to use it, if you just subscribe and pay, you know, one month, and you watch these two. That's worth the price of admission. Then you, then you just decide, okay, I'm take a break from Disney Plus, cancel, and uh, you know, instead of paying the monthly, if you can't afford the monthly fee, like I do that all the time with some yep. of these streaming services because there are a lot and it can add up. But but yeah, in this case, it's a it's a good month for Disney Plus, <laughs> <laughs> but also a good month for indie cinema. Yes. So yeah, that's a lot. Uh, that was a lot of variety uh, and a lot, a lot of stuff to, for you guys to look at. And we had fun talking about it. So for Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Gosowski. This has been Frameline. Thanks for listening. <laughs>